welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm happy to be talking today with Alexander Kraev, who is a director of the North America program at the Ukrainian PRISM Foreign Policy Council, which is a non-government think tank in Kyiv that specializes in foreign policy and international security. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Alexander. Uh, thank you for having me. So today in this episode, we're going to have more of a general discussion to get to know you a little bit and also your experiences, given that you have been in Ukraine prior to and ever since the 24th of February this year, when there was the full-scale Russian invasion. So to start out, could you just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do in Kyiv? Well, uh, I'm a foreign policy expert uh, working with uh, the, the issues of United States, uh, United Kingdom and Irish politics and also their bilateral relations with Ukraine. I'm also quite fond of uh, international security issues, especially within the context of modern hybrid and conventional warfare. I'm a native citizen of Kiev. Uh, I was born here and nearly the whole my life I've lived here. I've gone to university here and I'm currently also a PhD candidate in Kiev National University of Taras Shevchenko. Yes, that's kind of my home, that's kind of my, my land and so I'm very much interconnected with the whole situation and with the whole context of it. In the lead up to the 24th of February, there was this huge buildup of Russian troops on the borders of Ukraine that everyone was watching. There was a lot of tension and nervousness around what was going to happen. What was your experience on the 24th of February when the invasion began? Did that take you by surprise? And where were you? Were you in Kyiv at that time? Uh, well, uh, I had quite an, so to say, ironic beginning of the invasion because on the evening before, on February 23 or 23rd, I was speaking to my friend who is a military expert. I was intrigued, how can I get to an, a special officer's courses that we have to be ready to a, any such situation to get myself more into the military context, to, to be more, let's say, productive for my state in case of emergency. And then uh, it was, if I'm not mistaken, 15 minutes till six o'clock in the morning when my close friend uh, called me uh, because I'm a deep sleeper. Uh, I've never woken <laughs> up by my alarms, by any sounds whatsoever. And he's calling me and he's like, do you hear the thunderstorm? i like, uh, yeah. Well, the war has started, my friend. Get your family together, get something done. Because I am living like 30 kilometers from Borispil. Borispil is our main Ukrainian airport, our main transport hub, all mainly all international flights are from Borispil. And just the minute I woke up, I heard this thunderous, uh, continuous, non-stop and barrages across Borispil and across my district. So the war started quite rapidly for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that must have been intense and scary, I can imagine. 
moments you're just you're just paralyzed and then there is something ticking inside of you and you're just doing everything needed you're not emotional you're not nothing you're just packing the stuff for your parents packing your personal stuff getting ready for everything making sure your glasses are not broken and will not be broken inside upon you making sure where the safe spots around your house or near your house where the nearest bomb shelter calling everyone that you need so look you're just basically machine working because your brain does not want to comprehend that that is reality it's like okay man let's say it's surreal that you have some kind of a bad dream and let's start to work okay and that's kind mm -hmm. of an agreement with your brain and emotional system that you have for the first like two weeks of war mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense there isn't like time to waste energy on being emotional and i mean i know for pretty much everyone outside of Ukraine, except for maybe a few people in American intelligence who seemed to predict what was actually going to happen, maybe British intelligence as well. But for everyone else, it seemed to really be a shock that it actually happened. I wonder for you, like, did you have any idea or thought, well, maybe there will actually be a full-scale invasion where Russian troops will try to get to Kyiv? Or did that come as a complete shock to you as well? Well, basically, two days prior to invasion, I was in a telev television interview for our main uh, channel, y Ukraine One, so to say. And there were several different experts, both uh, political and military experts. And we kind of came to an agreement, to some kind of a conclusion that, of course, Putin will start something. It is not like the previous year when he only was scaring everyone with the amount of forces and tanks that he got. Uh, this time it will be for real. But we all thought that it was only about uh, our eastern uh, regions, about Donetsk and Luhansk. We thought that he will start a new offensive in order to take Mariupol, in order to take the territory of these two regions, basically, and to make a land bridge into Crimea. Because from that point of view, two days before the war, the attack on Kiev, the attack on northern Ukraine, and even the attack from Crimea was something from the stupidity level of strategy because mm. we cannot believe that the russian le leaders uh, both military and political leaders will be so reckless enough to start the full-scale invasion but we all were completely got gotten by surprise by the attack on kiev and another northern districts mm -hmm. i mean how were those first few weeks for you i guess i'm curious because i know that russian forces did get relatively close to Kyiv, there was certainly, you know, a lot of missiles, there was uncertainty, like a lot of people outside Ukraine were wondering whether Russian troops might even manage to take over Kyiv. Well, for some time, it was really, to some extent, scary, to some extent, uh, even hopeless, because although we had all our services still provided to us, like we have no problems with electricity, with running water, with our connection, both internet and cell phone connection, everything was perfectly fine. However, the whole like um, spirit inside the city was like a besieged city to some extent because we've get we've got all the preparations, we've got our roads blocked, we've got our let, let's say territorial defense forces prepared. 
con conscripted both voluntarily and non-voluntarily from our citizens to protect the Kiev itself. Uh, we also got uh, all the new checkpoints and all the new rules, including, as we call it here in Ukraine, commandant hours, which is basically a curfew. The curfew was quite strict, starting from 5 p.m. and ending at, if I'm not mistaken, 9, 9 a.m., so it was quite a strict one. We've got a lot of internal sabotage going on because as far as you can imagine, there were a lot, were a lot of Russian infiltrators and Russian agents stationed in Kiev and in other Ukrainian cities because of this, uh, let us call it, non-decisiveness of our government with relation to Russian visas and Russian expatriates here in Ukraine. So, yeah, for some time it was kind of feeling of a besieged fortress here in Kiev, especially when the Russians started attacking from the Chernobyl exclusion zone on Irpin, on Bucha, and all, all, all the cities from the northern part of Kiev. However, at one point uh, when the missile strikes were at peak, when we have, like, if I'm not mistaken, from 15 to 16 strikes and air raid sirens per day, everything gradually became much and much more normal because we started counteroffensives. We started some kind of civilian preparation for any given situation. And at that time, one Arabian newspaper was taking an interview from me uh, concerning the situation. And they had this very intriguing question. They said, oh, we heard that Russian forces are in the vicinity of Kiev. How do you think? In what number of hours will they be in the city center? And I was like, never, <laughs> they will never be in the city center. It's either we all die defending the capital or, or they retreat. And so it was our side <laughs> who, who were victorious here. Mm -hmm. So situation was dire. Right now, I know all the locations of the bomb shelters in my district, like even with the mm -hmm. closed eyes. I know all the contacts of my territorial defense units and all of, the, of their volunteers, but as of now, Kyiv is back to life. Kyiv is back to normal. And many, many people are returning right now because mm -hmm. uh, nearly 3 million inhabitants of Kyiv left Kyiv after the start of war. And so now these 3 million are gradually returning. Mm -hmm. And that must be, I guess, you know, a good feeling to see some life back in the city. Of course, there's still fierce battles raging, right? Like in Donbass and still missiles even flying into Kyiv every now and again. What is that atmosphere like in Kyiv these days, given that you know Ukraine is still at war, but it's not exactly threatening Kyiv itself? Do you feel very strongly, yes, you're still at war or there's still that kind of existential threat to Ukraine? Or does it feel in some ways like it's become more limited, more enclosed within, you know, a specific part of Ukraine, which is more in the south southeastern territory? Uh, it's a very um, vital question for all Ukrainians, because as of now, we have some kind of uh, societal informational movement for this war not to become the same war as it was nine years before. Because at that time, when the situation became more or less stabilized in the eastern Ukraine and with the loss of Crimea, most of the population just forgot about the war. Like they were going by the daily routine with their work, with their passions, with everything else. And the people were still dying in Donetsk and Luhansk regions. And that was like kind of normality, which is surreal as of now. Mm -hmm. And so now we are trying to preserve this situation. It's like war is always on your doorstep. 
And it's basically true because during the, the last week only, I was woken up by missile blasting above my house like three times because our anti-air defense is much more um, advanced as of now. Mm -hmm. and But still they're trying to shoot missiles above the districts with less population. And my district is like uh, near the border of the city itself. So like, here we go, more missiles flying above my mm -hmm. head. So, yes, the war is constantly here. We still have a lot of volunteers, initiatives helping our frontline, helping our fighters or helping our civilians who are suffering from this. For example, my girlfriend is with her parents in the Western Ukraine, and I haven't seen her for like four months just because I'm as a male from 18 to 60 years old, I am... I, I am to be conscripted at some time of this mm -hmm. war. And so I'm here in my district close to, we call it territorial center for unit formation. And so I'm like in contact with them in case I am needed for any specific or non-specific military reason. And mostly Kiev now is mostly a male city because the males... Uh, uh, remain. We all sent our uh, girlfriends uh, or someone, their wives, their children to the western part of Ukraine or abroad, and we're staying here. Someone's are already serving in territorial defense. Many of my uh, colleagues are also serving. Some are serving in the military itself, and all the others. We're trying to work. We're getting economy back on its track. We're mm -hmm. making some kind of progress in our like, economic livelihood of the city. Uh, we still have our curfew hours. We still have some limitations, for example, on uh, alcohol distributors or on some specific services being provided. But at the same time, cafes are open, restaurants are greeting new visitors. Uh, and so... This may sound kind of surreal, but going mm -hmm. through the city, you see these uh, big barricades with anti-tank weapons, with soldiers standing by their rifles, and just five meters from it, you see these fancy pink and white cafes with uh, small marshmallow coffee cups and all, everything like that. So, <laughs> and yet, that's our new reality. We're making our living together with making our war. So it's not work-life balance, it's war-life balance. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly we sort of adapt to a new normal, but also that weird disconnect between seeing things that are relevant to the current ongoing war and then things that are relevant to like a regular urban city life. I guess finally, I want to ask you with the caveat that obviously no one knows, how do you see this going forward in the next weeks or months? Do you see it stabilizing into some kind of relatively stable front line where we get this ongoing war of attrition or will we see bigger movements than that? Uh, well, that's the issue I speak about with my military colleagues on a weekly basis, because the situation is quite flexible. The situation is changing nearly uh, every week, uh, sometimes every day. And so as of now, from my point of view as a political expert, together with the points of view of my military colleagues, the situation is as follows. Right now, we are in a situation somehow related to the situation of the United Kingdom in uh, 1941, when basically we are fighting an extremely difficult war on our Eastern Front. We're trying to hold our line. We're trying to push our invaders back. But still, we're waiting for a lot of support from our Western allies. We're waiting for a lot of equipment. We're waiting for a lot of new weapons and ammunition. And as soon as they arrive, 
and our forces are well equipped and well trained for the occasion, then a, a number of counteroffensives are planned. Because as of now, the current status quo is not something that Ukrainian population will accept and not something that our political uh, leaders will go for because big chunks of eastern and southern Ukraine are still occupied. Even not taking into account the so-called DPR, LPR and not taking into account Crimea, our current goal is at least uh, to came to the situation as of February 23rd. So basically to return to the status quo pre-war and to make the situation, if not in uh, in our full strategic advantage, at least to came to some kind of a pre-war stalemate. That's our main goal. That's our main course of actions as of now. Currently, uh, as you said, for the next several weeks, uh, we do hope to receive new equipment and we do hope to receive an abundance of new weaponry. Well, after Rammstein 3 and after the start of a land lease program, we are really enthusiastic about the prospects. And mainly as of now, our goals and our perception is mostly a military one. Of course, we hear that the West want to see some kind of political advancement. For example, new negotiations or the continuation in existing formats. But as it is known, we are currently, of course, we are contacting Russians, although the kind of war criminals as of now, but still you need to speak even with the war criminals. For example, just to get our boys out of there and all our prisoners of war and all the detained persons. Because as of now, Russia is uh, conducting some kind of a, as it called, filtration campaign in the eastern Ukraine. All of the citizens of Ukraine who have expressed some kind of pro-Ukrainian feelings or have been working for Ukrainian government, they just disappear. And everybody else... Um, mostly either moved to Russia or to the temporarily occupied territories of Ukraine. So our main goal as of now is not only to suppress our uh, our enemy militarily, but also to return as many of our people captured by Russia as possible. And as of now, it's our only prospect, it's our only goal, and that's something that the whole Ukrainian population is working on. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Well, thanks so much, Alexander. I've really enjoyed talking to you today and I look forward to talking to you again soon. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the update from Key Podcast. Thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music. See you next episode. Thank you.